Okay, so we are continuing on the chronological life of Jesus. So we're looking in, in all the different Gospels as we just track through his life. Now, Luke is the Gospel, remember, that is the one that's in chronological order. So that will be our underpinning, is Luke's Gospel, Gospel according to Luke. But then we'll look at all the different Gospels and the complementary things that they teach us about the life of Jesus, because Luke doesn't include everything in his Gospel, but it's the only one that's in chronological order. <clears throat> and I'll be reading out of all four of the Gospels, <clears throat> and, and in fact, I actually have a, a little book that, that is, the, is the chronology, and it, it has all the different Gospels side by side following the chronological order, so using Luke as its order. And it happens to be in King James, so at times I might use the New American Standard, at other times I might jump back to the King James, but just bear with it. Uh, uh, there was a time when King James was about the only thing that was read in churches, and so um, that's, that's the way people spoke and prayed, and, and uh, that's what was used. Okay, so, so remember what's happening. We had just read in Luke chapter 3, verses uh, 7 through 14, we had read about John the Baptist, and remember the, the phase that we're in. Is that, is that the Sanhedrin, whenever there was something that, there was a rumor that, that something of significance, messianic significance was there, that this could be the Messiah coming, there were, there were two phases. The first phase is they would send out an investigation panel, and that investigation group could only, the investigation group could only uh, um, uh, observe. They couldn't ask questions. They could only observe. Only observe and, and, uh, and make an assessment after they would go back and speak with the Sanhedrin if it was deemed an important, uh, uh, if it was deemed unimportant, the issue would drop right there. But if it was deemed important and it could be the beginning of the Messiah coming, then a second group would go out and start asking questions. This is now happening to John. We had read, for example, in, in Matthew 3. Verse 7, it says, But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism. This is the Pharisees and the Sadducees that were coming to his baptism from Jerusalem down to the Jordan, which again is quite a hike across the desert. And uh, uh, they, could only ask, they, they could only observe. They couldn't ask any questions. They could only observe. And so, if we pick it up now in Luke chapter 3, verse 15. Now, while the people were in the state of expectation, and all were wondering in their hearts about John as to whether he was the Christ. Okay, so you see here that this group could not ask questions. They were wondering in their hearts, could this John the Baptist guy be the Christ? You know, this is after the guy had slammed them and said, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? They were not permitted to ask him questions because this was just the observation phase. And so they were just wondering in their hearts. But John speaks to them because of the wondering in their hearts. So he perceives what they're wondering in their hearts, which a prophet can do. Jesus ends up doing the same thing. You will see in the, we will see that when they, Jesus is, they've come out and they're in the observation stage of Jesus, they're asking no questions and Jesus addresses very specifically the issues of what they're wondering in their own hearts. And then after that, then came the, the, the contesting stage, the stage where they came and asked questions and Jesus would then, then address those head on. So verse 16 in Luke chapter 3. 
John answered and said to them, All, as for me, I baptize you with water. But one is coming who is mightier than I, and I am not fit to untie the thong of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to thoroughly clear his threshing floor, to gather the wheat into the barns, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. So with many other exhortations, he preached the gospel to the people. So what's happening here is that is that now they're, they're questioning, and John answers them. Remember, it says in verse 15, they're wondering in their hearts. They weren't asking him, but he answers them, and he says, I've come to baptize you in water, but there's one coming who is mightier than I. John, John uh, uh, repeatedly had testified that he himself is not the Christ, but there's one coming who is mightier than, than he is. John is baptizing in water. John is baptizing, it's a baptism of repentance, and we had seen it, uh, uh, it last week, in, or two weeks ago, in Acts chapter 19, we had seen that John's baptism was specifically to point people to Jesus. And, and Paul even said, when he met this group who were baptized by John, he says, John's baptism was there so that those who were baptized by John would receive the Messiah when he was pointed out. And that's what John, that's the commitment they were making. That the one who John pointed out as the Messiah, they were committing to receive as the Messiah. And that's in fact, it, it happened. They were very dedicated in what they did. When John pointed out uh, uh, his disciples, when he pointed his disciples to the Messiah, they immediately accepted Jesus as the Messiah. That's what his baptism was for. And so this is, this is what he did. He baptized in water. It was a baptism of repentance. And this whole thing of baptism, by the way, baptism was a submersion. There really was no sprinkling. Baptism, this is a transliterated word that, that came forth. And it was, it was always dealt with, with submersion. It had never dealt with, with a little bit of sprinkling. It was a, a submersion. And I'll tell you, if you've not been baptized, you really ought to be. And in this church, it's a very easy thing. You go to a Chinese church, and they'll put you through two years of training before you get to be baptized. You go, all you've got to do here is go out and fill, up, fill out a form, and they, they ask you, or do you believe in Jesus? You say yes, you go under. That's it. I mean, it's very quick. But if you've not been baptized after believing on the Lord Jesus Christ, you really ought to be. Jesus himself was baptized. It's the pattern we see in scriptures. And in my experience, from what I have seen, People who have not been baptized after believing on the Lord Jesus Christ have real difficulty moving on in the next steps of their Christian walk. You say, well, how can that be? Well, maybe because there's a glaring act of disobedience there. So you go and you be baptized. It's not a big deal. You say, well, that's kind of humbling. Well, that's part of it. It's kind of humbling. And you just go and you be baptized. And it's a very easy thing to get done in this church. You speak to any one of the the staff members and they'll take care of it. Okay, so, and then he, then he speaks about this one who's coming. It says, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. So there's going to be two baptisms, Holy Spirit and fire. Verse 17, his winnowing fork is in his hand to thoroughly clear the threshing floor and to gather the wheat into the barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. So the Holy Spirit is going to come upon those who believe on him. The Holy Spirit is going to come upon those who believe on Him. Those who believe in Jesus are going to receive the Holy Spirit. They are going to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Those who disbelieve are going to be baptized with the fire. There is going to, there are going to be chaff, which is going to be burned up. So the, the, the ones that believe in Him are going to be kept safe. They're going to be stored up. They're going to receive the Holy Spirit. The ones that 
that uh, uh, don't believe on him, there's going to be a baptism of fire that is going to burn them up. And it's very clear. Jesus brings a thing of, of, of distinction, and it is not proper in this world of political correctness, in this country of political correctness, to talk about this. But Jesus was very specific about it, so if you have a problem, take it up with him. He said, the way, the way is broad that leads to destruction, and many are there that go through that. But the way is narrow that leads to life, and few are they that enter therein. So there's a broad way, Jesus said, that many are going that leads to destruction. And there's a narrow way that leads to life. Those that get baptized in the Holy Spirit, those that receive Him and get saved, that are of the believing remnant of that day and even of today, are a much smaller group than the group that is broad and going to be going into destruction. The Word is clear on that. And so John speaks of this. And, and, uh, but I, I want to follow, follow up a little bit more on this concept that I was talking about last week. Uh, uh, the things that, that John had been telling them to do. So if we look back up in this portion, uh, what, what, what did he, he begin to say? So in verse 7 of Luke chapter, uh, Luke chapter 3, verse 7, it says, So he began saying to the crowds who were going out to be baptized. Now we know from Matthew chapter 3, verse 7, that this is specifically, he was saying this to the Pharisees and the Sadducees that had come out. He says, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Because remember, they had not come for his baptism. They had come merely to, be, to observe. He says, therefore, bear fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that from these stones, God is able to raise up children to Abraham. Indeed, the axe is already laid at the root of the trees, so that every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And the crowds were questioning him, saying, Then what shall we do? And he answered and he said to them, The man who has two tunics is to share with him who has none. And he who has food is to do likewise. And some tax collectors also came to be baptized. And he said to them, Teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than what you have been ordered to. And some soldiers were questioning him, saying, What about us? What shall we do? And he said to them, Do not take money from anyone by force, or accuse anyone falsely, and be content with your wages. So what he's saying to them, he says, you bring forth fruit in keeping with your repentance. You're to do these good deeds. He says, the axe is already laid at, the, at, at this tree. He says, bring forth fruit in keeping with your repentance. Bring forth fruit in keeping with your repentance. Last, last time we had looked at Daniel chapter 4, where Daniel had warned the king. He had said, you better start bringing in some fruit here. Uh, he says, I warn you, this, this is going to delay the penalty that's going to come on you. And I wanted to follow that up a little bit more. The doing of good works. If you, if, in, in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9, it makes it clear. It says, we are not saved by good works. So it's not our good works that are going to save us. But we are to be about good works. We are to be doing good works. There are good works that we are supposed to be doing. And doing a good work is a good thing. It is a part of service. It is part of Christian service. These are good things to do. I want to look at a, at a, at a couple of people in particular. Let's look in, in Acts, in Acts chapter ten. In Acts chapter ten, uh, there is a guy, and, and we may have mentioned him last time, but there is a man that, that is going to be a Gentile in Acts chapter ten, and in Acts chapter ten, his name is Cornelius, and he is a centurion, so he is a Roman soldier. 
And the gospel is going to first come to him of all Gentiles in the world. Going to first come to the house of Cornelius. Why the house of Cornelius of all houses is the gospel going to come to Cornelius' house? I mean, you have all sorts of Gentiles. Why should it first come to the house of Cornelius? And if you look in Acts chapter 10, Acts chapter 10, read from verse 22. Then they said, Cornelius a centurion, a righteous and God-fearing man, well well spoken of by the entire nation of the Jews, was divinely directed by, the holy, by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and hear a message from you. So these servants are coming to Peter and is saying, there's this guy, Cornelius. Let me tell you something about Cornelius. He's a God-fearing man. He's well spoken of by the entire nation of the Jews. The Jews really liked this Roman soldier. Why would Jews really like the Roman soldier? Why would the entire nation of the Jews speak well of this man? And so if you see, uh, uh, look look in in the same chapter, uh, verse 31. Uh, That's Acts chapter 10, verse 31. And he said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your alms have been remembered before God. Your prayer has been heard and your alms have been remembered before God. So here is a man who would pray to God, never had salvation enter his home, and here it says his alms have been remembered before God. Alms are, 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 are acts of goodness where you're giving something away. Deeds of kindness have been remembered before God. God sees acts of kindness. He sees these. He sees acts of service. If you clean up chairs and vacuum giving this as an act of service. God sees this. You add rooms onto your mansion. He does something. God sees it. There is a way of service for us in the body of Christ. He says that he was a God-fearing man, but his alms, his deeds, his alms have been seen by God. This is the testimony. Your prayer has been heard. Your alms have been remembered before God. This is what God remembers. He remembers your good deeds. This is part of why salvation came first to his home. There was another, there was another soldier. Let's look in uh, uh, Luke chapter 7. In Luke chapter 7. There was another centurion in Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7, start reading from verse 2. And this is, this is now in Capernaum. In Luke chapter 7, verse 2. And when a centurion slave who was highly regarded him, by him was sick and was about to die... When he heard about Jesus, he sent some Jewish elders asking him to come and to save the life of his slave. And when they came to Jesus, they earnestly implored him, saying, He is worthy for you to grant this to him, for he loves our nation, and it was he who built us our synagogue. Whoa. Here's this centurion. Centurion has a slave who's sick. So this centurion wants this Jewish man, Jesus, to come and to heal, or just to, just to not necessarily to even come, just speak the word, to heal his slave. And so he doesn't think that he can even approach this Jewish man, Jesus, so he sends some Jewish elders to go and to speak on his behalf. Well, why would Jewish elders speak on his behalf? Jews hated the Roman soldiers, because this guy was different. What this guy did is that it says that they came and they implored Jesus 
And here was the rationale. They said, he's worthy for you to grant this to him. Why? Because he loves our nation and he was the one that built us our synagogue. So this is in Capernaum. So Capernaum is up north. It's uh, probably 50 miles away, 40 miles away from Jerusalem. Jerusalem had the temple, but there were synagogues which were located local places where people could congregate. This Roman centurion had built them their synagogue and he loved the Jewish nation. This will cause you to take pause if you ever want to speak ill of, uh, of, of Jews. Just take pause. Because remember, in, in Genesis chapter 12, verse 3, he says to Abraham, he said, speaking of Abraham and of his seed, he says, those who bless you I will bless, those who curse you I will curse. Jesus hears that this centurion has been a blessing to the Jewish people, that he loves their nation, and he built them their synagogue. You say, well, you, you know, there's not a whole lot to love about Israel today. doesn't matter. We are to love their nation. We are to love their nation. There wasn't a whole lot for a Roman to love of the Jewish nation back then either, because the Jews hated them, and they hated the Jews. There wasn't a whole lot, lot to love in this. But this man loved their nation, and he built them their synagogue. He was doing good deeds. And it says in verse 6, Now Jesus started to go His way along with them. Immediately, Jesus hears this. What does He hear? He says, There is a Roman who loves the Jewish nation, and this Roman has gone so far as to do them good deeds to the point of building them their synagogue. Imagine what His fellow centurions were saying about him when they found out he was spending his money on a bunch of dirty Jewish dogs, their synagogue. Imagine the abuse that he went through. But nonetheless, he built them their synagogue. As soon as Jesus hears this, he says, I'm on my way. Jesus didn't do this for Gentiles. Look in, look in uh, uh, Matthew chapter 15. Matthew chapter 15. Here is the way Jesus would normally deal with Gentiles who needed blessings. Matthew chapter 15, verse 21. Jesus went away from there and withdrew into the district of Tyre and Sidon. And a Canaanite woman from that region came out and began to cry out to him, saying, Have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. My daughter is cruelly demon-possessed. Okay, so this Canaanite woman, here's a Gentile woman. The Canaanites were not persecuting the Jews at this time. It was the Romans who had dominance. And so this woman comes out and she says to him, Have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. I mean, this is a real recognition of who he is. She calls him Lord, she calls him son of David, realizing that he's the descendant of David. And he says, my, my daughter is cruelly possessed. She's not asking for a bad thing. She wants her daughter to be delivered from demons. And here's Jesus' reply. But he did not answer her a word. Nothing. And his disciples came and implored him, saying, Send her away, because she keeps shouting at us. But he answered and he said, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. I mean, that sounds really kind of cold, doesn't it? Here's a woman crying out for her child. But she came and began to bow down before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered and he said, It's not good to take the children's bread and to throw it to the dogs. Whoa! I mean, this is a pretty strong word. The woman is bowing down at his feet, calling him Lord, son of David. He says it's not good for ta to take 
food from the children and throw it to dogs. But she said, yes, Lord, but even the dogs feed on the crumbs which fall from the master's table. Then Jesus said to her, O woman, your faith is great. It shall be done for you as you wish. And her daughter was healed at once. In the end, he healed her, but you, didn't, you don't see the same way where he says, he hears something and boom, he's off to take care of her. What's the difference between the two? Well, you have a man that loves the Jewish nation so much that he was willing to give. These were works that prepared the way for him to receive blessings from Jesus. You want blessings poured out on your life? You practice good things. Paul said the things that you have seen and heard and, 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 and in me. Practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Peace in your life comes through practice. You practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. You do good works to others in the body of Christ. You bless those in the body of Christ. You will receive blessing back. That is the testimony. You do good things to those in the body of Christ and you will receive blessing back. Look in Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10. Reading from verse 40. Matthew 10, verse 40. These are discussing the rewards of service. He who receives me... I'm sorry. He who receives you, receives me. And he who receives me, receives him who sent me. He who receives a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. What does that mean? He who receives a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. If there is a prophet that comes... He says, if you receive that one as a prophet from me, you're going to receive a prophet's reward. Well, what's a prophet's reward? A prophet has great reward for serving in his gift of prophecy. If you receive him as a prophet, you're going to share in his reward. He says, he who receives a righteous man in the name of a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's reward. If you receive one in the body of Christ who's a righteous man, receive them, do them good, you will share their reward. You will get a righteous man's reward for receiving them. There is great blessing in service in the body of Christ. He says, And whoever in the name of a disciple gives to one of these little ones even a cup of cold water to drink, truly I say to you, he shall not lose his reward. You give even one in the body of Christ a cup of cold water who needs water you will not lose your reward. That's just a cup of water. You won't lose your reward. How much more if you do even more for them? This is why as soon as Jesus hears that there's a Roman centurion, he doesn't go. But when he hears that this Roman centurion, A, loves the Jewish nation. Why? Because there was a promise. Jesus remembers. His father gave a promise to Abraham saying, those who bless you, I will bless. Those who curse you, I will curse. He hears that this man loves the Jewish nation and that he built them a synagogue. Jesus says, I'm on my way. I'll take care of it. None of this stuff, well, you know, this is only for, we don't throw our, our, our food to dogs. None of this. You see the difference between one who has, who's given in, in acts of service. You see it in Cornelius' life. It is good to do good works. You overcome evil with good works. Uh, uh, C.S. Lewis says that, that, that Take one that you are having trouble with and do them acts of good and it will cause you to love them more. That is overcoming evil with good. You do good works toward them, it will cause you to love them more. There must be a place in the body of Christ 
for the acts of the believer to do works of good in the body of Christ. You take a disciple, one who's in the body of Christ, and you do them some act of good, even if it's just bringing them a cup of cool water. You won't lose your reward. A young lady was telling me she had trouble with her boss all the time. I said, what is your boss like? And she said, what do you mean? What she, I said, what does she like? Does she like, does she like Starbucks? She says, yeah, she comes in with a big you know, cup of Starbucks every morning. I said, go and bring her Starbucks. Just go and bless her occasionally with a cup of Starbucks, a cup of coffee from Starbucks. Find out what she likes and bring it to her. She said it changed everything. This boss changed her attitude toward her. They started going out to lunch together. You do acts of good and it changes people. This is what John is telling people. He said, change your ways. He says, do acts of good. These are good things. It won't get you saved, but it will bring you great blessing. Great blessing in your life. Let's pray. Father, thank You so much for the truth of Your Word. Thank You so much, O God, for the truth of Your Word. Father, I pray for these young people that in the name of Jesus You work on their hearts, that they would do acts of good and that they would see blessings in their lives and rewards coming that they will never lose, that they would be able to share in a prophet's reward and in a righteous man's reward and in the disciples' reward by doing acts of good, by receiving them and blessing them. Father, I pray that you would so fill their lives with good works that that others will see this and be drawn to the living God. Father, I pray that you would cause them to participate in the things that are good. Father, I pray for your blessing to abound here. And Lord, we commit this to you in the name of Jesus. Amen.